Welcome to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, David Green. Every business should have a purpose and a unique set of values that drive its growth and success. And as HR leaders and professionals, it is our responsibility to ensure that we are living out our organization's purpose in all of the people strategies we design and implement. Today, I'm joined by Daniela Seabrook, Chief Human Resources Officer at Philips, a global leader in health and wellness products. Danielle shares how Philips puts purpose at the forefront of all people strategies and how this approach has helped the company to build a successful hybrid working model. In our conversation, Danielle and I explore how Philips actively tackles bias, promotes collaboration, and inspires purpose-driven teams to drive business success and create a healthy culture. So without further ado, let's get started. Before we kind of dive into the the, the the more detailed questions, can you kind of share with listeners a bit about your background, how you got to where you are today, and, and of course, outline your role at Philips, please? Of course. And also, thank you for having me here today, David, and also hello to everyone listening in. Uh, so maybe a few words about myself. I'm a clinical psychologist by education. We don't see too many in HR, but there are a few. And it's actually, it remained a passion of mine, the mental health and well-being of people. And, and um, yeah, going deeper on that is something which certainly uh, remained my passion while I never worked in the clinical field. I immediately, after my studies, entered the corporate life and um, human resources. And I worked in, in different companies, I uh, started my career in pharmaceuticals, and then I worked about half of my career in agriculture, ag tech, and um, then MedTech and now HealthTech uh, in Philips. And all the companies I chose very deliberately, going to spend a bit more time on purpose and, and the importance of that for me um, later on, but all the companies I chose for how they contribute to greater good in our society, in our communities. And that was also the reason why I chose to come to Philips, where I'm the chief human resources officer now for the last a bit more than three years. And again, the choice why coming here after being first approached and also thinking of the company or more from an electronics perspective or lighting, as many of the listeners might also um, have that in mind for us. Actually, in fact, we've been on a, on a transformation journey for the last a bit more than a decade. And we're really focused now on health technology now. So being able to improve the life of millions of people every day is something which attracted me. And, and we have great product solutions, propositions for patients around the world. And that's something which yeah motivates me, inspires me every day. In terms of HR, and that's maybe interesting also for, for people listening in, I've had um, different roles in, in my career. I spent probably two-thirds of my career in generalist roles. So the kind of business partnering or head of HR roles for local organizations, regional organizations and global teams. And then a third of my career I spent in so-called expert roles, in particular in the space of talent, talent management, leadership, culture, these kind of things. And that's also something which I still carry a lot of passion for. And a, and a sort of a good sort of rounded background, so it's a support you as you as you then sort of tra transition to the CHRO role as well I imagine Daniela as well so it's going to see all different parts of 
of HR and how it's delivered a- across an organization. Yeah, I-, I would agree. I mean, I've been also asked, you know, what would I look out for for also people succeeding me in my role or or CHROs if if people have this aspiration. And I think it's important that HR professionals try out different spaces in HR, like um, be it in the generalist, I call it generalist, client-facing HRBP roles, but also in expert roles, such as the ones I mentioned, or reward, um, but also in operations. So I see these three areas mainly um, in HR in different forms, of course, across companies. And having had experience at least in two of those areas, I personally find important, plus also having worked on different levels, be it global, regional, local, to really have a good understanding of the bandwidth of the challenges which are out there in organizations and also how to address them. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's a good it's a good, good introduction and some good tips there for people looking to sort of um, evolve their HR careers, I think, that are listening. So, so Daniela, everyone has a purpose. You, you talked a little bit about that in your intro. What's your what's your purpose and, and how has that guided you throughout the career that led you to Philips? And maybe just as an extension to that, you mentioned in the intro that mental health and well-being are passions for you. Is is that partly what drew you to, to into HR as well? So my purpose, I would say, is to be able to, to contribute to something larger than um, my immediate, let's say, role or, or the, the immediate scope I have. So that's why also the companies I chose to work for was very important to me that they contribute to something greater and also address the big topics out there of humanity. And in our case, of course, at Philips, we are helping, supporting to improve the health and well-being of people around the world. And on one hand, to to create also more affordable healthcare. Uh, on the other hand, also um, create uh, the, the opportunity for underprivileged communities or, or underserved communities um, to have access to healthcare. So these are some of the aspects which are very important for us as an organization and speak very much also to, the, to my personal purpose. So how can we also create more equity when it comes to healthcare access, for example, in the world and um, provide that to, to people out there? We actually have the aim of improving the life of two and a half billion people by 2030. So touch the life and improve it by two and a half billion people in the world. And uh, also, if you look at our culture and how we go about this, it's about really focusing on the patient, on people and patients. We want to create a, a truly patient and people-centric culture and, and how we do business, how we work together. Because also, of course, we have not directly only patient contact, but customers, consumer, also we have a consumer business. So these are all things which which are very important to me personally. What I'm very much motivated by is to help people grow, being able to develop um, people uh, from where they are today to where they aspire um, to to go to and be able to help people on that journey is something which motivates me a lot. And I think that was probably a driver, you know, for me to enter human resources. Can you share how how you go about instilling that in the culture at at Philips and and such as the way you hire and, and develop talent within the organization, perhaps? So in, in, the, in the recruitment or attraction space, of course, the purpose does play more and more an important factor for people choosing um, the employers they want to work for and the career they want to take. We see that as well. For example, we also have intake from tech companies. And there we do hear when people choose to change industry, 
that the draw, why they're drawn to, to a company like ours, like Philips, is is the purpose, that they can contribute with their knowledge, with their capabilities to something greater. Uh, and of course, what you also find in companies like ours is you do have more purpose-driven people. So they come because of the purpose and they also then want to, how they live their life, how they want to work, how they want to contribute, that's also coming through in the workforce we have. And, and we see that again and again, particularly now we're going through a tough time as an organization. And um, that actually keeps the people motivated, that inspires the people to go the many extra miles to help the patients out there, our customers, our consumers, but also internally help each other. We've seen that through the pandemic, how people really reached out proactively within the company, but also in their communities, how, you know, people immediately raised their hand when it's about when was when it was about um, producing more ventilators for the people in need out there. And more recently in the in the war, um, in the Ukraine, our people immediately, you know, raised their hands. How can we help? How can we, you know, take um, people up in our homes and and support them, you know, through through a tough time? So that's something which is very at the core of our culture. You see that, and we very deliberately also created now as well. We have a new CEO, and and he is very vocal about creating this very strong patient and people centric culture, where that's really at the core of how we innovate, how we do business. Um, and that's that's very important for us. In terms of attraction, I would say it's often the number one reason why people are joining us. And we hear that again and again uh, when when I speak to people who have joined us or also in interviews and ask them why Philips, that comes through very strongly. Also, I think in our case, we have a very strong brand, which is recognized externally beside the purpose also for how we do things in a sustainable way. We are really leading in our industry when it comes to sustainability um, and, and um, yeah, doing our business in a, in a sustainable way. Also, that is important for our people, how they can contribute also in, in that respect. We've touched on this a little bit already, Daniela, that, you know, over the past three years, I mean, the only certainty seems to have been uncertainty with everything that's, uh, that's been happening. Um, you know, and there's been an increased focus on on mental health and well-being. Um, you know, she's invariably being led by by HR. How how is well-being and purpose shaping your approach as an organisation as you transition into this new world of work? You know, whether it be hybrid, and and we'll talk also about you know the fact that you've obviously got a number of employees that that have to go to a place of work because of the nature of what you do. But how is that that kind of well-being and purpose purpose is is it shaping your approach as you? evolve into this new world of work? So we have certainly, as many organizations, put a lot of emphasis on on um, health already in the past. Of course, we are a health tech organization. So I always say we also need to make sure we take care of the health of our own people or create an environment where people can be healthy. I would say that over the last two years, the pandemic has helped to increase acceptance for also the mental health and well-being that it became something one could talk about. And in that context, we also significantly um, put more emphasis on the mental health and well-being. So we already had a lot in place for the physical health, if you want, but we increased that to also look at different other health dimensions and in particular in, in the mental health space. So we have increased our offerings. We also have a large uh, mental health champion network, which is growing, where we have people who we educate to also be able to support colleagues around the world who go through difficult times. We have employee assistance programs, but we also speak more openly about it. I think that's the important point. So the offer has increased, 
but we also have made it much more of a topic um, when we had, yeah, town halls, when we speak um, in with, with teams and leaders have been much more mindful about talking more openly as well about how they feel, not just um, how they keep themselves fit from a physical perspective, but how also they are mindful about their mental health and what they need and when they are stressed and that they are also sometimes anxious. So these kind of things and also how you speak about emotions, that is something which we changed. We also um, had, in particular during the pandemic, regular reach outs through surveys to people and asked them about how they feel, not just um, yeah, how are they keeping up with the environment and, and the challenges, but really how are you feeling from an emotional perspective? And we do the same in big town halls. We have word clouds and we allow for things like stressed, anxious, depressed, and then really also address that. And I think that has started to shift um, that that approach and also the feeling that people see we're really serious about this. And um, we continue to score very high uh, in our engagement service when it comes down to questions like if people feel that their mental health and well-being is respected in the organization, if they can be themselves, these kind of things, we are yeah, really usually very, very high scores. And, and as you as you said, Daniela, you know you've got leaders that are that are being more open about how they're feeling as well, and that's so important, isn't it? That leaders kind of model that behaviour because then it it helps others feel that they can speak up as well and creates that that safe space for for this to be a topic that people can talk about openly. I would agree. I mean, the power of vulnerability is quite immense in that respect. And what we do, what we did see through the pandemic is that first of all, the the mental well-being challenges have increased and maybe we spend a bit more time on on that in a moment why this was but that's just a fact it's out there um, but we shouldn't forget that even before the pandemic the kind of percentage of population of people who have suffered or are suffering as we speak from um, mental challenges is quite large and and I think that's why that was probably the the underrepresented, diverse aspects in our population all along and I'm very very pleased and happy that this is now getting at the forefront. Let's pause for a moment and thank Workday, our sponsor for this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Workday is a leading provider of enterprise cloud applications for HR and finance, helping customers adapt and thrive in a changing world. Workday is also a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for cloud HCM suites, and that's just one of the reasons why the world's top companies trust Workday to deliver for them. Organizations ranging from medium-sized businesses to more than 50% of the Fortune 500 have chosen Workday to help build HR systems and implement workforce analytics solutions, including Netflix, Sanofi, AstraZeneca, and Rolls-Royce. Join them and find out more by heading to workday.com. That's workday.com. What I'd be interested, Daniela, you know, obviously Philips has, uh, you know, a lot of employees and you have certain people that are able to work from home and are able to work remotely and you have others that have to be in a in a place work because of the nature of the, of the work that they do. Um, how do you manage these different groups to to ensure 
fairness, but also to ensure that the right approach is is applied for the for the right group of uh, of your colleagues. Yeah, that's an important point for us. About fifty percent of our workforce is not are not office roles or office based roles. So that's that's a big part. Um, that's that's around a bit less than forty thousand people. And uh, of course, we have people who work um, in hospitals. You know, they need to be out there also throughout the whole pandemic. Then we have people in production sites, etc. So uh, there is a big workforce, and we always were very, were very mindful of not just talking about hybrid and and making it all about the other fifty percent for for who there was a big change right through the pandemic. So. Any kind of, of our offerings, we always also think about how do we make it work for the whole workforce? How can we make it accessible for everyone? Um, when, when we think of benefits, of engagement, whatever it is, we always think holistically about the whole workforce. And the different workforce um, on the different roles and, and natures of roles require different interventions. So that is something which which we are always mindful of. Yeah, I think it's important this because I think the, the conversation gets simplified a little bit sometimes and it, it, it sort of you know it comes down to, it's almost like a one size fits all and, and it doesn't you know you've got to be extreme and even within groups that can work hybrid there will be differences as well because um you know dependent on the role dependent on personal preference but dependent on the business need of course people may be able to work more on a on a remote basis than than an, than an in 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 person basis in the office as well and and I think what what's quite interesting is it almost brings another nuance to to d- diversity as well. You know, we we've got programs in place to ensure fairness around uh, you know and, and equality around gender and race and disability or sexual orientation, but working arrangements could also you know in a place of work could could be another little nuance as as I said. You know, certainly you know for example, how do we ensure that people don't just get promoted because they're spending four days a week in the office versus their colleague who's in the office one or two days a week on average. I'd be interested to to think about how you're helping uh, for, as an HR function at, at Philips to help people leaders mitigate some of these possible biases of, uh, uh, you know, in the, what is a, a kind of new approach to work? It's an interesting question. Um, it is true that if you are more visible you know, to other people. And that's a, you know, be it in person or also online, but in person, it's a different kind of way of also creating relationships that that might play in a role of through visibility, also being more on top of mind when it comes to, um, you know, opening up of roles when leaders think of promoting, um, in particular, people who might not work for them in their teams. I think it is, as always, it's a leadership accountability to help people grow and develop and, um, you know, being mindful of what kind of development opportunities are out there for their own teams, but also then connecting across the organization. On the other hand, we from an HR perspective need to create the platforms where people can also reach out and and also make themselves available. And that's something which which, um, we have put in place with an internal talent marketplace with gigs, you know, that people can actually um, allowing that they have capacity or also in, in discussion with their leaders that they can try out or work in projects in other organizational units, uh, contributing to something else they wouldn't usually. So also learn about uh, different roles, different uh, teams that they can also with that extend their own portfolio of, of capabilities. So these are things which we have very deliberately 
put out. And we've actually increased the internal promotion rate over the last couple of years by 10%. So now every six six out of 10 promotions are internal on, on lower grades and seven out of 10 uh, in the more senior grades are internal promotions. So three out of 10, we would hire externally and seven out of 10 would be internal promotions. So we've increased that with very deliberate interventions to really provide more visibility, more opportunities. We also do internal talent scouting. So we don't let just external headhunters come after our people, but we also, the internal talent acquisition team directly addresses and approaches our people internally. We have policies, how to do that, etc. Um, so these are all uh, things which don't actually have to do if you're in the office or not. So that's just here is your profile and your capabilities, which you have to, of course, maintain, and then you can be approached. So uh, but but to your point, I think it is an important one. How do you also create your network? Because that's your own accountability. How do you make yourself visible that others are aware that you're there, that, you know, how you can contribute? And that's also, in particular with females, I can see that it's not as strong of a skill like with male co-workers, the, 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 the conscious creating of network. And that's something which, um, yeah, we also try to do by mentoring female leaders, for example, or female colleagues, that they can, um, yeah, create a stronger career progression for them. But in terms of um, people who are more remote than others, we have not observed that that was a big hindrance. I should say, however, that our approach to hybrid work was always from the start that we want our people to spend more work together than apart. So that was a very deliberate choice. And in that respect, we always had the approach that people should come and meet physically, should be more regularly in the office, and also should be affiliated to one of our Philips offices rather than be entirely remote. Of course, we have people who are entirely remote. We have people dependent on roles where this is possible. But overall, we put emphasis on you need to be close to an office. You need to come and interact with people, in particular, also linked to your job. And then I think this issue probably becomes a bit smaller. I'd be interested to to see is, is there any other real benefits that that that, that you're getting from the internal uh, talent marketplace that you've got? Well, I think besides being able to to grow our workforce more internally as well, I think for the people it's it's an important retention mechanism because the the number one reason when because we do exit surveys and and we also from the data discussion we had before we gather a lot of data why people are leaving and the number one reason in our case and probably that's common across companies is the lack of career progression and you know we have um an organization of 78,000 people which means we have a lot of roles in the organization and um and opportunities and often they are just not visible enough for people. And so they leave for another role somewhere else, which they might have had maybe also the opportunity, should they have known how to go after it in our own organization. And that is what we want to improve and increase. And it's it's certainly something which is recognized. We need to do more. We hear from our people, um, you know, that, that we can do more, we need to do more. But that is something which, which I think is a big retention criteria for people to stay in a company. Are you finding that that having that internal marketplace? Because obviously, you're a big global organization. You've got you know you, you're working in multiple countries and, and and everything else. Are you finding that 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 having that internal talent marketplace in place is helping break down some of the silos that you would traditionally have in an organization between different countries, different businesses? So, 
I, I think for those gigs where people do take them, and, and we also see differences in teams, how much this is actually put out there. It, it comes down to leaders again, because you need to post your gig and then also be ready to, to coach the person through it. Where it happens, I absolutely um, think that this is also a consequence of it, that you break down silos, you provide people insight into other teams, other parts of the organization. It can also be within the, in the same organization, but in another team, in another group. Um, overall, I would probably, you know, preempt that we already see that across the company because we still need to grow it further, that whole approach with the gigs. But it's something where we have very positive resonance on. Okay, really interesting. I think the second thing that you said was really interesting was around networks because actually it was what you said about helping female um, uh, employees in particular. It's interesting because there's quite a lot of external research that shows that men are generally better at male, generally better at female at kind of changing their network as they move through an organization. Um, so the fact that you're addressing that, are you seeing that that helping in terms of your um, promotion, your, your promotion of females as, as they move up through the organization as well? We've done a few things actually in that respect. We've we've made good progress over the last four years in in gender diversity. We we really only started to address it probably five years ago, very deliberately, and we made a progress. We were there at about seventeen percent in our more senior female leadership groups, which is very low. We have this year, last year in fact, we have first time cracked the thirty percent mark. So within um, four years, in fact, we actually really moved up significantly, and we can see the the increase in every um, level. So we don't just look at the more senior levels, but really throughout the organization. We've put in place um, also a, a senior female group uh, for network reasons, exactly that to really come together, create a community, but also then last year started to mentor female leaders below the kind of most senior female leaders to really start to increase that network, make people meet people who they wouldn't have met at all, um, create those mentoring relationships um, where people and an allyship, you know, where you can also sponsor others, etc. And starting with our exco. So our exco members, each of them had a couple of senior female leaders they, they mentor and with that really also can sponsor. So that network, you, you need to help and you need to also create a framework within it. It can start to happen. And we do certainly see from this and other actions we took, we see very positive outcomes. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Moving on to the kind of the workplace design piece, we talked you, you talked a little bit to that as well. You know, as we transition into these new different ways of working, and obviously as an organisation, you're encouraging people to to come in and meet with their colleagues and work with their colleagues. How do we influence as an HR function how our workplaces are designed to to ensure collaboration 
in a in a more flexible working model? Well, look, we are we are still learning, I must say, because <laughs> uh, you know we believe that an office is 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 a bit like a smart hub, a social smart hub, I would say, where people really should come together to not just be in a in a small closed room and do their email. Of course, they can as well because some people just enjoy more being an office environment, but it should focus on these human interactions and connections. And so we designed our offices in the first attempt to create more open room where people can be together. And then we got the feedback, well, now we have so much open space, there's no space for, for meetings any, or, or smaller group meetings, right? Or, or when I need to take a confidential call, etc. So we are still learning. I think it needs to be a mix of these open spaces designed in a very interactive way. For example, no tables, you know, but but that you have possibilities to to draw things on 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 boards, etc. Um, and then also we we need to, we we learn that we need to provide enough spaces as well for smaller gatherings, and that you don't you know in interfere with others because what we also know the the big the open floor offices are stressful for people because the noise level is much higher. So how do you create it in a way that it's a really great experience? You have the interactions and and connections, but you also have more quieter rooms so that's something which which we are um yeah still still going after and learning as we go you know we have we have actually refreshed many of our offices but as we are going through it we also learn that that still requires some more adaptation and it comes down to asking the people not just having a great idea and design in mind and go go for it but really go in an agile way ask people how is it what do you need more or less of and and I think a very important point when we when it's about bringing people back together is that the leaders need to be there. If the leaders are not there, um, you know, we hear it again and again. People say, well, why should I go if my boss or boss's boss are never there? You know, so that's something role modeling here is is very key. You talked a little bit, Daniela, about how Philips is is, is using um, sort of data in, in, in sort of from, from a people perspective. You know, how much is, is data part of these conversations supporting the decisions that, that you're making around that to, to where you've got today. But how do you envisage it helping you measure effectiveness of, of uh, you know, as, as you move forward as well? We do use also in that regard a lot of data. So we have had in some of our offices kind of uh, tools which told us about occupancy rates on certain floors, uh, that you could book as well places, etc. You know where you want to sit, so that we could also measure a bit how is the movement happening on the different floors. Where do we see more people coming in? Where less, etc. So we've done that. I'm not sure yet how much it actually told us in terms of how people interact and and what we can take from it in terms of to not just optimize from a real estate perspective, but also from a pure. Um, interaction and and yeah impact perspective ultimately so that's something which we are yeah again as I say uh, you know as we are talking we are learning from it but for me more important is the the direct um, interactions with people really check in with them see what's working well what's not working well and you can do that with surveys if you have a lot of people in the building you can do it with focus groups that has probably brought more insight to us but certainly if we go out and ask for feedback, we also always try to incorporate it or use it as a decision basis for kind of the future and, and future setup. I think what's important is that we also relearn how we create meaningful interactions in person. 
because the last two years taught us a lot about how can you be very effective in tactical things where you have 30 minutes, you go through an agenda, you, you have your points you need to, to discuss. But how do you create really meaningful interactions in face-to-face, -face, which go deeper, which are more strategic, which are more um, creative dialogues? That is something where I believe, certainly for us, we have, we have um, yeah, room to, to relearn and also to improve. So if we, I mean, if we look back, I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could, we could actually do this? If we look back two or three years, you know, and is there anything that, that you would have done differently if you could go back to March 2020 and, and you know, and then the onset of the pandemic and the, and the lockdowns and everything? If you, if you could go back and give, or if you could go back and give yourself some advice from today, what, what would it be? I think I would, because I was new in the role at the time, right? I was in the role for probably be more than three months when the pandemic started, which really... Um, took away the, the opportunity for me to meet with a lot more people in person than, than I could. But I still think I would put much more effort into um, reaching out more uh, to, to people, even online, and people I didn't know, and learn more about them, the business, the, the different locations. That is certainly something going back I would do put much more emphasis on. Because, of, of course, we also didn't know how long will it last, etc., and knowing now how long it lasted and, and that we couldn't travel, um, I would yeah, retrospectively put much more emphasis on that. And the other point is to also probably earlier try to be more mindful about how do we create those moments for the creative thinking, the reflective thinking, um, rather than the more tactical task oriented. So for the final question of the day, this is a question we're going to be asking um, everyone on this series. You know, if we look ahead for the next 12 to 24 months, what do you think HR leaders really need to be thinking about most, you know, and, and maybe what's the biggest, your biggest concern, but also do you think the biggest opportunity um, with respect to that? I think we touched on, on quite a few already, which I personally think are, are concerns of mine. One is how we work and interact. Um, so make really the, the time and spaces for the deeper more creative, more holistic, more strategic thinking, reflective thinking also for ourselves. How do I take time enough to reflect on my on myself? Uh, and that also will help to balance a bit more this more tactical 30 minutes, you know, tacted days. So very deliberately create those moments and times where there are no online meetings for those who work in, in offices, but that you can really create that balance more, which will then also have a better um, actually outcome for the business, but also better impact or, or a positive impact on the mental well-being. So that's the other one. The mental well-being has suffered and we are yet to see the consequences of that, in particular in the next generation workforce, because the, 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 the young generation suffered even more from it because um, they had less strong coping mechanisms. So that's another point. How do we continue that focus on mental health and well-being and are very mindful in how we design work and how we do things. Um, also, when it comes down to to the overflow of communication. So that's, I think it's another stressor. And if you think of context, the, the raising inflation, which is coming. So there is a lot of stress coming from outside on our on our teams and and people in the world so how can we as organizations also help um to create an environment where that's hopefully a bit less strong yeah so these are the, the probably the two to do to do big concerns and link to that 
as I said before, I think making human interaction something which is really key in our personal life, but also in, in, in our work life, that is something which for me is a great opportunity to just be mindful of that again. The other one is we, we touched on sustainability or ESG. I think there is also a great opportunity to go beyond in particular the E and the ESG. So we, we um, spoke today probably a bit more about the S part uh, where human resources come into play. But I think there is there is an opportunity to be more precise about S, to be more measurable about the S part. And then, of course, in particular, also the G. But um, this, this is for me a great opportunity going forward as well, because it also uh, motivates people. There is a huge inspirational, motivational factor in there and people want it. And so how can we also um, make it a bit more tangible, measurable to your point about data? That's probably also an opportunity. And finally, now that I'm on it, is, is the technology improvement when it comes to, to interactions uh, in a hybrid way. I find the technology has not improved or not much progressed. If you know we are online here and you can see the face, all our Teams meetings and, and all the different um, uh, technology which is out there has not significantly improved that you have a different feeling if you have a hybrid interaction, that you feel like the person is close to you. There, I think, is a great opportunity for the tech companies or startups. No, I, I completely agree. And it's... it's um... And I, I love your sort of sort of thing. You know, how can we how can we enable ESG? You know, as as, as that's an opportunity for us as a as a function. I think as as we move forward, Danielle, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for for being a guest on the show. Um, presumably, if people want to find you or follow you, they can they can go to LinkedIn. Um, but how do they find out more about maybe the work that you that that you and the team are doing at Philips? Well, we do have a homepage, of course. So, so as you say, LinkedIn, of course. Um, but also, we do try to be on LinkedIn, but also on our own homepage to to uh, yeah be a bit more explicit about what we're doing, also in the ESG space, but also beyond that. So, yeah, it's it's out there. Um, so please do reach out. Um, I'm happy to to connect, and also people on my team, of course. So, um, yeah, and thank you also for having me here. It was great dialogue. Thank you, David. Thank you very much, Daniela. Take care and hope to hope to see you in person at some point in the future. That would be great. Thank you. And a great year ahead as well for you and everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. We hope you enjoyed this powerful conversation with Daniela Seabrook, Chief Human Resources Officer of Philips. If you did like this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast streaming channel so that we can keep producing the show. And if you want to stay up to date on the latest industry trends and best practices and learn more about us at Insight222, sign up for our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Bye for now, and we hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Take care.